Hello and welcome to Vertical Space. This is your host, Jose Reynaldo Torres. Welcome, folks, welcome. Folks, the title of the message is The Empty Tomb. Folks, I know this is a topic that has been discussed and time and time there's been some some heated debates over an empty tomb, a lot of accusations, a lot of plotting, uh, but we're going to go through some scriptural facts uh, which witnesses recorded. Again, these witnesses are credible and for them to risk their lives uh, for their testimonies and to share exactly what went on in their time. These are folks that walk with Jesus. And you, you will read about in the book of John and the Gospels, uh, Matthew, that you'll, you'll see how when these witnesses were questioned, especially Peter, they denied Christ. They denied him. They were terrified. Uh, mind you, they didn't want to end up like Jesus, so sure enough, they denied him. And they hid, they ran. They they knew that they faced a, a death sentence, and obviously they didn't want to be part of that. So uh, what happened to them later on as they were baptized with the Holy Spirit? See, the Holy Spirit pr uh, promises uh, courage, and you can see that transformation at 360. In one scenario, they're hiding, running, denying. And in the next scenario, after they've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, they receive courage. They receive this power and authority to continue to testify and be witnesses. But we're going to examine a, a few verses here that, um, first and foremost, uh, will cover these points. Was Jesus uh, confirmed dead? Was Jesus buried? Was Jesus in the tomb? And was it sealed? Was, was Jesus uh, not in the tomb? Did Jesus appear to witnesses? And lastly, did Jesus resurrect and go to heaven? So we're going to talk, talk about those, uh, just to highlight a few of those verses uh, just to give us um, some details. Obviously, you know, we we always welcome you folks to go ahead and read scripture and go out there and, and dive in for yourself and so that you can see where, where I get the information from. Obviously, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, messages, uh, why am I sharing the empty tomb? Obviously, you know, this is uh, what gives us our faith, right? Jesus walking out of the tomb exactly how it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, his arrival, his, his birth, his mission, his um, miracles that he was going to be performing, how he was going to die, what they were going to do, and sure enough, his resurrection. So sure, all those things were fulfilled, prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the Gospel, the New Testament. That being said, let's go ahead and uh, cover the uh, first point, which is, was was Jesus dead? Was he really dead or was that a hoax that they orchestrated? Uh, mind you, these uh, 
the Sanhedrin completely wanted to convict Jesus for uh, the things that he was saying. It, it was uh, for them. It was it was blasphemy. Uh, whenever you uh, try to make yourself equal, or it, it was understood by the Sanhedrin, which is the equivalent of today's Supreme Court. This is at the government level, right? The Sanhedrin plus uh, Pontius Pilate, who was governor of the Roman Empire, right? In the uh, in in assigned to Jerusalem and had that uh, territory. So this is government, right? We're, we're talking about government and how government had their details and witnesses, facts, and court systems and their capital punishment for those that uh, committed treason and were committing crimes. So therefore, this was the structure back then. So we're going to talk about, was Jesus really dead? And sure enough, the, um, the whole process was done by the soldiers, and it was extremely supervised by high-ranking officers of the military and government. And sure enough, they had a system. They had a system where, A, when they crucified, uh, crucifixion was really used to, first and foremost, hang someone on a cross for a couple of days, obviously, or for, for a long period, enough so that folks can see what was going on. And the message was loud and clear. If you ever attempt to do anything against the Roman Empire, then this was your outcome. And that message was crystal clear. So th that's the reason why they did the crucifixion. That was their method to instill fear, right? I mean, if you see that type of torture, that type of, uh, it was brutal, right? Brutal, and sure enough, uh, no one wanted to end up like that. So sure enough, uh, they had their system, and it was supervised, and sure enough, uh, their ways of ensuring that uh, when the time came, and let's say some of the bodies were there long enough, then at that point they would break their legs to suffocate the person, and at that point it would be death. Uh, and they had their method, right? They would break the legs, and then they would take a lance or spear and spear them on the side looking for a vital organ that would so this way they would bleed to death, right? So uh, that was another way to ensure that it, it, was, it was over, right? So they would break the legs or they would put a lance or a spear on the side, getting a, a vital organ. And sure enough, at that time, they would see the blood come out. So they were, they were, they were bled to death at that point. And when they see the water mingled with the blood, then they already know, okay, they're bled out at this point. And that was their way of confirming that. Uh, was that done to Jesus? Well, we'll look at John chapter 19, verse 33, and I'll go ahead and read that to you. It says, But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. 
Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. You see, folks? There you have it. So the Bible records that Jesus was dead, completely dead. The uh, government, soldiers, the Roman Empire, their leaders confirmed that Jesus was completely dead. So the next thing we're going to talk about is his burial. So was he really buried? Was it really Jesus? And sure enough, uh, their, their body was claimed by uh, Joseph and Nicodemus, two of uh, people that had interacted with, with Jesus. Uh, Joseph himself was a disciple of Jesus and wanted to do the right thing for Jesus, giving him the proper Jewish burial and ensuring that he got the best care. So he personally took care of that and made sure that he was laid to rest. Now, mind you, they had to do this quickly because of the Passover, right? This was just a Passover celebration. This is the, uh, this just finished celebrating Passover and meal. And the next day is the Sabbath. So obviously they don't want to uh, have these bodies hanging first and foremost and being displayed during the Sabbath. Plus they don't want to have to do any work on the Sabbath. It, it, it is the law actually in, the, in Jesus' time. There was a law saying that no one was going to work on the Sabbath, which is a Saturday. Uh, and sure enough, they didn't want to have to do all this work. So before the Sabbath, they had to make sure that all this was taken care of. So they had to do this quickly. And this is one of the reasons why they were going after the legs, as we previously discussed, going after Jesus's legs to, to break it. But they already saw that he was dead. They confirmed it. So now here comes the burial. And let me read it to you. It's found in John chapter 19, verse 40. So it says, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was uh, the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. See, folks, so they, uh, according to scripture, according to John chapter 1940, sorry, according to John chapter 19, verse 40 through 42, we just read how Jesus was given a proper Jewish burial with the spices, with the linen, and laid in the tomb. So we know that Jesus uh, not only died, but it was also buried. Now the next thing is, was it really Jesus that was buried? Did the disciples come and steal the body? Well, it, it's, it was totally hard for the disciples to come steal the body, especially with Nicodemus and Joseph. Joseph, again, 
was a disciple, was burying Jesus, but Nicodemus was of the Pharisees. So he was like an inside to the Sanhedrin. And obviously, it was going to be really risky if they would have seen Nicodemus committed some foul play there. So it was going to end up good for Nicodemus. So for him to do something deceptive uh, was a high risk, which we see Nicodemus is not willing to take. If you've read in the Gospels, uh, obviously Nicodemus came to meet Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody to know he was even talking to Jesus. So for him to uh, openly do something, it was just not going to happen. And you can see that according to that uh, chapter and, and verse that we just read, they were giving him a proper burial. And I'm sure that Nicodemus's role was to ensure that he was buried as they said they were going to do. So sure enough, the next thing um, uh, we're going to look at is how was Jesus' tomb sealed? And sure enough, at that time, in Jesus' time, it was really hard for a soldier to lose a, a prison or not do his job. Uh, not like today where you may have situations out there where you you have security, which may be taking a little uh, nap or so on the job and things of that nature. And in Jesus' time, they also did the same thing, right? They would take naps and things like that. Well, the other one watched, one would take a nap, and then they would switch. However, if they lost someone in their watch, that guard would have to be uh, executed. So it's a, it was a life and death commitment. You're not going to lose uh, your prisoner, not on your watch. And sure enough, uh, Jesus' tomb was sealed. It's uh, remember in those days, it's folks didn't get buried in the in the ground. They were actually buried in caves in the side of these mountains. This is where, and it's rock. This is where, um, you know, in, in the Egyptian times, it's it's a pyramid, right? They're buried in this. Uh, cave-like, hard structure, rock uh, foundation, right? And so in this, in, in Jesus' time, we're also looking at a cave made out of rock, stones, uh, some of the strongest stones, right? And Jesus' tomb not only was made out of stone, it was also covered by a large stone, which took a number of people to roll that stone and close the tomb itself. So it, it, it took a, literally an army of people to move that stone. Mind you, Jesus' tomb is sealed with a large stone in front of it that would take an army to move it. And also, now it has guards posted there to ensure that Jesus' body is sealed in that tomb and that no one is going to try, try to come and tamper with that uh, tomb. Nonetheless, steal the body. So that was the, the job of the, of the guards that were there. And sure enough, 
Um, that's what happened. And we're going to read that in Matthew chapter 27, verse 64. I'll go ahead and read that to you where it says, Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so that the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. And there you have it. According to scripture, the tomb is highly secured, not only with the foundation that we were talking about, not only with that stone in front of it, which would take a, 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 an army of people to move, it also had a guard. You know, when they talk about guard, they're talking about a rotation as well, as we, discuss, as we discussed earlier. One is asleep, the other one's vigilant, and so on and so forth. Well, they may both be up, right? We, yeah, the scripture says that it's on guard, meaning that these, these guys are not going to allow an army of people to come and take the body out. It's, it's, it can be done, but remember, these disciples are scared out of their mind. They're hiding, and they're obviously not going to try to mess around with soldiers, not at that time of the night. Anyway, we're going to move over to the next point, which is, okay, we know Jesus' body was there in the tomb. It was placed by uh, Joseph and Nicodemus, and sure enough, he's in the tomb, guarded by the, by the uh, rock, sealed by that rock, by that stone, and also by guards. Now, we're about to find uh, something that, how is it even possible for Jesus to walk out of that tomb when there's stone and there's guards there? Well, we're going to see that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And sure enough, he is no longer in the tomb and has walked out of the tomb. And we're going to read that in John chapter 20, verse 20, where it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So when she came running to Simon, Peter, and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So here you go. Mary Magdalene was the first one to show up on the scene. And obviously, this is Jewish custom to go and put spices on the body and tend to it, so on and so forth. But when she goes to the tomb, she finds that the stone had been removed from the entrance. 
And furthermore, the body of Jesus was not there. So she's thinking that someone came and stole the body or that they have put him somewhere else. This is what um, is being thought at this point. However, when you read that chapter a little further, you'll see what exactly actually happened. Jesus resurrected. And sure enough, there was two angels there that confirmed his resurrection and gave them the instructions. Uh, tell her to go and, and speak to the disciples and let them know that Jesus has risen. Mind you, these are two angels that are there inside this tomb giving direction. And sure enough, the direction is for Mary to go and tell the disciples that Jesus is going to go ahead and meet them. Meet them in Galilee and give them the further instructions on what they're going to do as far as to they're witnessing, spreading the gospel, and the mission of what we call today Christianity. It's our faith. It's what we believe that Jesus has walked out of that tomb, and he is alive and seated at the right hand of all authority, seated at the majesty, king of kings and lord of lords. And we say, well, how, how do we know that? You know, how do we know that? Well, First and foremost, we've already discussed that in Jesus' time, and you can read the Gospels for yourself and see how Jesus was, uh, when he was um, prosecuted and when he was convicted of the death penalty of crimes, which he never really committed. Jesus knew no sin. He couldn't be... It, it, the trial was was for Jesus was trying to they were trying to uh, bring false witnesses and, and trying to bring these witnesses into testify that Jesus had committed crimes, but they couldn't even they couldn't even fabricate they couldn't even agree on what they were going to fabricate and what lies they were going to say. They couldn't even agree on on anything. They couldn't even come. They couldn't even convict Jesus of anything because Jesus never committed sin. And that's in the scripture as well. So, well, Jesus, in that time when he was, though, going to trial, and as they try to uh, obviously convict him of, convict of, of, uh, of a crime, they, they couldn't. So Jesus had to help them out by admitting that he was the Messiah, admitting that he is the Son of God. And sure enough, that was exactly what they needed to hear for themselves to convict Jesus. Anyway, the disciples in that scene, especially Peter, who was one of the lead uh, disciples at that time, even Peter was denying that he had any affiliation with Jesus. He was uh, terrified. He was afraid that he was going to end up being crucified, not only him, but also the rest of the disciples. In the garden, when the uh, soldiers came for Jesus and they arrested Jesus, they the scripture says that they ran. The disciples dispersed. They ran for their lives. So sure enough, they're not going to now start fabricating 
and risking their lives for a lie. It, it's just unheard of, right? We, we would probably lie about certain things, right, to get out of a situation. Maybe lie about something to get yourself out of some jail time or for getting someone to uh, put a death sentence on somebody. But it, it is really hard for somebody to give up their lives for a lie. And it's just not, it, it's unheard of, right? Can it happen? It, it may be rare, right? However, these was a large number of his disciples and witnesses that were, the message was one, that were in one accord, which they had seen the crucifixion, they seen the miracles, they seen the crucifixion, they seen the resurrection, they seen Jesus appear. Well, let's go ahead and read that in in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 8. I'll go ahead and read that to you. It says, for what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one of untimely birth. So there you have it, folks. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 8, confirm the witnesses, the folks that have seen Jesus, they testify as the same testimony that Jesus uh, died for our sins and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, according to the Old Testament and according to the New Testament. It's fulfilling scriptures, fulfilling scriptures time and time again, and it's one accord. And these folks, again, over 500 witnesses are giving the same testimony. Obviously, some of them with their perspective on what they saw, it's not that um, there are uh, some discrepancies, it's just Testimony, right? If you get a hundred people in one room and you ask us uh, to describe the room, you're going to have variable uh, perspectives. However, there's going to be some common ground in there. There's going to be some facts. There's going to be some common, common ground based on what, the, what has been seen in that room. And sure enough, 500 witnesses are testifying to the uh, Christ dying, Christ being buried, and Christ's resurrection. Testifying it against authority, against 
the government and against the Supreme Court at that time, which was going to give whoever was bearing, according to them, this was false witnesses, and according to them, at that time, it was blasphemy, it was, it was treason against the government and against the Sanhedrin at that time. So sure enough, it, that, that rise of these witnesses uh, speaking the same thing and sharing the same testimony was highly, highly risky. It was the death penalty that was going to come to anyone that was going to be talking or preaching Christ. Uh, so we see that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 8. And then now we're going to confirm what happened to Jesus. Where is Jesus? Where's his body? And how come his body has never been found, even till today? There's teams of archaeologists and all manner of scholars and uh, groups, teams, scientists. Uh, they're all out there looking for uh, Jesus' body ever since he was crucified. Ever since the time that they've put those guards at the tombs, there's been missions from even the Sanhedrin that were trying to prove that uh, his body was still, that he was still dead. So they, they were out looking for Jesus' body. They, they wanted to find it. They couldn't find it. They could never find his body back then, and they still haven't found his body today. Why? And why is that so important for us? Well, it's important for us as our faith and as believers of Christ. It's so important because we know that he has resurrected and we know where he's at. This is why they can't find his body here on earth. Because I'm going to share with you the next um, verse that shows where his body is. And that's why. Uh, no one here on earth can find it on earth uh, because he is not here on earth. Though he did resurrect and stayed uh, for 40 days here on earth after his resurrection and, and showed himself to his disciples, to many witnesses uh, in, inside that 500 that we just spoke about, many credible witnesses. Uh, even Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was a Pharisee. His dad was a Pharisee. His grandfather was a Pharisee. They were part of the, the Sanhedrin. So these um, were men that were following the law, every dotted I, every cross T. And sure enough, Paul saw the risen Christ, had an encounter with uh, the risen Christ, and from persecuting Christians, completely transformed himself, uh, born again. That's what the transformation is, uh, being born again, and became a follower of Christ. And sure enough, uh, had, had to be an, an encounter so powerful for him to go from persecuting the uh, followers of Christ to now becoming a member of the body of Christ. So that, that's amazing, right? And uh, Paul had that complete transformation to go and now be part of the mission of sharing the gospel and 
testimonies. So there you go, right? Uh, testimonies and even at, at that time where Jesus presented himself, the risen Christ, since that time, though, his next step was to go back to heaven and obviously take his throne and sit on the throne, right? King of kings and Lord of lords. This is why we cannot find his body here on earth, because he, it's not here. Physically, he's not here. He has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And how do we know that? Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 10, it says, They were looking intently up into the sky as he, this is Jesus, was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen. It's a good place for an amen right there, right? So this is why the tomb is empty. This is why there's been so many pilgrimage, so many pilgrims till today that go and visit the tomb. And it's empty. It's been empty since Jesus walked out of that tomb 2,000 plus years ago. And it's going to remain empty. They will never find the body of Jesus here on earth unless you are one of the fortunate ones that may have an encounter with the risen Christ, as Paul did, it's possible that Jesus could come to you. Obviously, now he's coming to all of us through the Holy Spirit and lives inside us through the Holy Spirit. But there is a day, like it says here in Acts chapter 1, verse 10 through 11, where it says that Jesus will return physically. Physically, he will be coming back to earth in his time. We don't know when that's going to happen, but that's going to happen in his time. And he does gives us some clues on when he's coming back. It's, it's, it's can be happening in our time or it can be happening in the future generations. We're not a hundred percent sure. However, if he says he's coming back, just like the uh, prophet Isaiah said he was coming the first time and it happened, it's going to happen. So there you go, brothers and sisters. Well, the empty tomb is the message today, and now we know why the tomb is empty. Now we know why his body hasn't been found. The only one, I would say, uh, other than someone, someone from the past, uh, any religious leaders from the past, uh, they're still in their tombs. Um, Peter's tomb, uh, the other disciples, their tombs, Paul, all, all of them, they're still in their tombs. They're still there. They're, their bodies are still there. Uh, but Jesus is the only one who's empty. The tomb is empty. And that's because he walked out of there, as the scripture says. He is risen. He showed up to 
all of his um, disciples, his apostles, his followers, many people saw him. Many people, uh, including some leaders, and amazing. It's just amazing how that scripture has been fulfilled from the Old Testament to the New Testament, as it says here, uh, uh, according to scripture, right? So that's, that's awesome. Awesome how it's been recorded in the past. And, you know, we can reflect on that today and, and see what a beautiful thing Jesus did for us, which is come, die for our sins, so that we too can be with him in heaven, in his kingdom, and have eternal life. And that's what it's all about. When we say he is risen, the tomb is empty, we rejoice. So brothers and sisters, we thank you so much for tuning in. And hopefully this message was um, a good one for you. Uh, hopefully it added a lot of value for you. Uh, it may be confirmation for you, or it may be you're hearing this for the first time. So we thank you. We give glory to God in the highest for giving us his only begotten son to come to this earth, take on our sin debt and pay for it fully so that we can be cleansed and we can have eternal life. Thank you for tuning in. Stay blessed.